0: Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Before we jump into the episode, we're gonna thank a couple of sponsors and we're gonna start with Timeline Nutrition. As a health and longevity enthusiast, you know how important mitochondria are to every aspect of your health. But did you know how critical they are to maintaining muscle health? If you're over the age of 40, maybe even 35, you've probably noticed that building and holding on to lean muscle isn't quite as easy as it used to be. And this is an issue, because carrying muscle not only helps us to look good, it also means that we stay metabolically healthy with less effort and get to perform our best. It's a huge part of aging well. This is why keeping up with a solid exercise routine is critical, but keeping muscle healthy as we age is a whole other story. Now, never present a problem without a solution. Urolithin A, This is a compound that's created a stir in the field of human performance and healthy aging that I've been using ever since I learned about them in episode 99 of this podcast. It is the active ingredient in MitoPure. It is the culmination of over 15 years of research, over 11 human clinical trials and over 300 scientific studies. Timeline Nutrition's MitoPure is the first product to offer a precise dose of urolithin A that upgrades mitochondrial function, increasing cellular energy. This results in improved muscle endurance and performance in humans. We're not talking rats here. We're talking about humans. It does this by stimulating mitophagy, a critical process in healthy aging used by the body to make sure we get rid of defective mitochondria that can get in the way of optimal health and performance. Now, How do you take it? This is the best part. You either get to take it as a great tasting protein shake. You can use capsules when you're traveling, or they've got delicious powders either in berry or or ginger to add to yogurt, drinks, or shakes. I rotate it through all three, depending on the day. Now, Timeline is offering listeners of this podcast 10% off your first order. Just go to timelinenutrition.com forward slash NAT10 and use code NAT10. And if you're up for it, I definitely recommend their three-month starter pack to try all three. Now, let's talk about this episode. And it's interesting that we're talking about mitochondria because guess what? We're gonna talk about mitochondria. Look, we've all heard mitochondria described as the powerhouse of the cell, but what we know now is that mitochondria have a second role beyond being energy generators and are of central importance in human physiology. Today, we're discussing everything you need to know about mitochondria, specifically how the story of energy and the story of aging are so centered around the health of these tiny little organelles. Luckily, the loss of mitochondria is not a natural product of aging, and there are actually ways to support and rebuild our mitochondrial networks as we get older. And the person who's going to tell us about this is Ari Witten. Ari Witten has a master's of science. He's the founder of the Energy Blueprint, and he is a great guy. Ever since I've met Ari, he's one of these people that just puts you at ease We take a deep dive into how do mitochondria work, including the second role they play as environmental sensors. We also discuss how to support and maintain your mitochondria and the best supplements for optimizing your mitochondria. You already just heard about one of them. If you struggle with chronic fatigue, you'll definitely want to tune in to learn about how mitochondria is impacting your energy levels and more importantly, what you can do about it. Ari Witten is the best-selling author of The Ultimate Guide to Red Light Therapy, which is the first book I ever read on red light therapy. He's also wrote written a book called Eat for Energy, How to Beat Fatigue, and Supercharge Your Mitochondria for All-Day Energy. He has a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology, certifications from the National Academy of Sports Medicine as a corrective exercise specialist and performance enhancement specialist. He's ex- completed extensive graduate training in clinical psychology, and holds a master's of science degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. So this guy is pretty qualified, let's just say. Ari is a tireless researcher who has obsessively devoted the last 27 years of his life to the pursuit of being on the cutting edge of the science on health and human energy optimization. You can find Ari, his podcast, his programs, and supplement formulas all at theenergyblueprint.com. And he's got some great stuff there. He's got an amazing blog, great newsletter. He's got programs on breathing for energy and also another one on sleep and circadian rhythm. Ari is a prolific writer and producer of amazing content. So you're definitely gonna wanna check this out. If you're looking to reach me, if you have any comments or questions about this podcast or anything else, you can reach me at natnidham.com. You know how much I appreciate you guys natnidham.com is where you can find information about my private membership community on Mighty Networks. You can find out about my upcoming Women's Longevity and Resilience Retreat in November in the beautiful Dominican Republic in Cabarete, You can sign up for my newsletter and you can also find out about my new peptide crash course Of course. If you get value from this episode and you know anybody else who would, please make sure that you share it with your friends, your family, your network, anybody else who would get value as well. And if you're feeling inspired today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, because that's how it makes it so much easier for us to get great guests for you guys. All right. One final thing before we jump into the episode is thanking our final sponsor here. And these guys are amazing. And again, it's all about energy, right? And this is this is a critical component we often forget about when optimizing our energy and performance. And that is electrolytes. Most of you know that anytime you sweat heavily, whether it's from a sauna session, a heavy workout, or even when you just spend time outside on a hot day, you deplete valuable electrolytes that are critical to proper nerve conduction, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, and of course, fluid balance. You might also need a top-up if you're following a keto or a low-carb diet. And sometimes we can be deficient in electrolytes just from regular day-to-day activities. This could show up as headaches, you might feel sluggish, or you might be getting cramps all of a sudden. So I use my electrolytes pretty much every day, whether I'm using my sauna, going to the gym, or just to sip on to keep my energy up. And my top choice is Element. Element, for a few important reasons. One, Element provides the exact ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium that your body needs. Two, they taste amazing. My faves, watermelon, citrus, and the new raspberry flavor. Three, they're free of everything you don't want, like artificial colors and sugar, and everything full of everything that you do want. Element is offering the listeners of this podcast a free sample pack with any purchase. This sample pack includes eight different flavors for you to try so you can find your favorite. You can get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash nat. Now, drinklmnt.com forward slash nat. And another bonus, by some chance you don't love your element as much as I do, they offer a full money back guarantee, no questions asked. You can just give whatever's left of your pack to a friend and you'll get your money back. And now without further delay, let's jump into the episode with Ari Witten and let's get into mitochondria. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the show, Ari Witten. It is such a pleasure to have flipped this desk on you today.
1: (laughs) It's a pleasure. I've, uh, as I was telling you before we started, you are one of very few people in the health space whose work I actually follow and pay attention to. Um so you know well done on being in the 0.1% of uh of health influencers so to speak that has earned my attention.
0: Well thank you. I am totally flattered and honored. So let's hope we do I do a good job on this podcast.
1: <laughs> you you always do. Okay. not about that.
0: I'm not worried either. So not with not with a guest like you. So we're going to talk about today really I mean your 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 brand your energy and frankly just looking at you it's about energy right and and it's about and i'm all about longevity and i think we can agree that without one the other one doesn't happen and and very often you know you look at someone who's aging and fading and it's and you, we witness the loss of energy at a cellular level as as people are you know whether they're ill or getting really old and so you know i, I think what's amazing what what will be interesting about this conversation is having you as an expert in this field of of energy and mitochondria and the concept that the body is an energy factory and how do we really support that is the i is is the bomb like that's the converse, that's the conversation we want to have
1: Totally. And and fortunately for us, the story of energy and the story of aging are not uh, too dissimilar and they're very much centered around the health of our mitochondria. So, um, you know, we can talk uh, basically all the same things that boost our mitochondrial capacity for energy production are also going to translate into increased longevity and resistance to disease.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, one of the concepts we were talking about before we started the podcast was, before we start, and it, and we even talk about this with the immune system and every other system in the body, before we boost, how do we support, right? What are the things we need to do to make sure that these mitochondria, before we ask them for more, if they're struggling, if there's something in the way, What are, you know, how do you help people to really understand how to, how do you start with supporting your mitochondria, with helping them to work better for you?
1: Yeah, great question. So uh, I think we can start by saying, uh, I, I believe that there is a sort of widespread core narrative around mitochondria and how we optimize them within the health space, the health community, the functional medicine community, I think that there is an attitude of like, we run our, our organic acids tests and Mm -hmm. we gain insights into mitochondrial function through that. Um, and then we, or, or we just say based on symptoms, oh, you, you don't have enough energy, therefore let's support your mitochondria, which I think is reasonable actually. Um, But where we go with that is generally take these B vitamins, take some acetyl L-carnitine, take some D-ribose, take some alpha lipoic acid, um, take some CoQ10, take some PQQ, that that sort of thing. It's like, here's some nutrients and cofactors to support your mitochondria. And that paradigm, that narrative around how our mitochondria work, I think is massively oversimplistic and and largely just wrong and kind of silly and ineffective at the end of the day. We need to understand what our mitochondria are and what they're doing and what are the different types of dysfunction that they may be having. So the, that current paradigm that I just presented is based on the idea of uh, largely based on sort of deficiencies in nutrients and cofactors which Mm -hmm. is one potential way that mitochondria can be hindered Um, it is certainly possible that with poor diet that you may have a deficiency in nutrients and cofactors that using some of those compounds can absolutely translate into increased energy but i think that's really just like 10 percent of the overall story of mitochondria the broader picture is this, um, first of all, we need to understand that mitochondria are not just energy generators. Mm-hmm. They are environmental sensors. And this is largely thanks to the work of, of Dr. Robert Navio with the cell danger response that we understand this now. Um, but if we go back to like our high school and college biology courses, Mitochondria were sort of just talked about as like one of many different organelles like over here's the endoplasmic reticulum and here's the lysosomes and here's the Golgi apparatus and over here's a mitochondria and what you need to know about the mitochondria is it's the powerhouse of the cell and it, it's, it, they're kind of framed as like these mindless energy generators that just take in carbs and fats and pump out energy in the form of ATP. Yeah. well what we what we now know um through research especially in the last decade and synthesized in a coherent framework by uh, dr robert navio with the cell danger response is that mitochondria have a second role beyond their role as energy generators and that is as environmental sensors and they are in his words the central hub of the wheel of metabolism metabolism yeah. is the entirety of all the biochemical reactions (laughs) occurring in our body. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. (laughs) So mitochondria are the central hub of the wheel of metabolism. They're not just one, like one of 20 different organelles and they all are equally important. Mitochondria are of central importance in human physiology. Yeah. And what they are doing in addition to producing energy from fuel sources, from our diet, is so much more. They are acting as these sensors, like canaries in the coal mine of our body. And they're constantly taking samples of the environment, asking the question, are we under attack? Is it safe to produce energy? Is it safe to produce energy? And so in that role as environmental sensors, we can understand they are not just producing the energy, they are deciding whether or not to produce the energy. And they are doing that based on the degree to which they are sensing dangers or threats present. And it turns out that mitochondria can detect basically every type of threat or danger signal or stress imaginable from poor diet to leaky gut to infections to physical overtraining, overexercising, to physical injury and trauma, to environmental toxins, um, to psychological stress. There's a whole field of research called mitochondrial psychobiology now where where we look into how the mind is linked with the mitochondria. um, And basically any type of stressor that you can think of. And, And this is not because mitochondria have a receptor for, you know, uh, bacterial endotoxin and a receptor for viruses and a receptor for this toxin and that toxin and for physical overtraining. And it's because almost every type of stress when in excess of what the body can handle will result in increased levels of oxidative damage, increased levels of inflammatory cytokines or cellular damage and or cellular damage such that there is leakage of cellular c- contents. Um, and these can be a few things, pure molecules, like the actual energy molecules, like ATP and ADP mm-hmm. leaking outside the cell into the extracellular space, into the bloodstream and mitochondrial DNA leaking into the bloodstream.
0: And So it because the mitochondrial membrane gets damaged.
1: Correct. So if there is is enough cellular damage, you will get leakage of stuff that's supposed to be inside of the cell, outside of the cell. And those molecules, energy molecules, mitochondrial DNA, uh, actually serve as danger signaling molecules. There are receptors on other cells throughout the body to detect the presence of those. And when there is a significant leakage of those into the bloodstream, and they're sensed in the other tissues of the body and organs and the brain, they act as a danger signal that the mitochondria then use to basically say, again, as these environmental sensors that are are doing this, this sensing process of, is it safe for us to produce energy? Is it safe for us to produce energy? When they get those danger signals, They go up we're under attack and let's increase our capacity to handle this and if it's within their capacity something i call the resilience threshold if it's within their capacity then your body can maintain health and homeostasis and high energy levels and handle and adapt to that stress load but if it exceeds your resilience threshold the capacity of your mitochondria to handle that level of of danger signal of stress signaling then the mitochondria shift into the cell danger response uh, where they are redirecting resources away from energy production towards cellular defense. They're coordinating a metabolic response that shifts things towards cellular defense instead of energy production. Dr. Robert Naviot calls this peacetime metabolism or wartime metabolism. And these these are dual roles of the mitochondria. And it's critically important to understand they are mutually exclusive. So to the extent that your mitochondria are sensing a high level of stress or danger signals present, they are turning down the dial on energy production and shifting resources towards cellular defense. Interesting. So that's that's the first big layer to the story of how our mitochondria work and it's not just corrected by giving b vitamins and coq10 and alpha lipoic acid and acetyl l carnitine
0: yeah no that's that's fascinating and so how does that show up in the individual then with they basically have less energy like they the way it's experienced is less energy which you could argue is almost like the way's body of saying slow down and take care of the house because you can't exactly just that right. running around while we're in this condition kind of thing.
1: It's exactly right. So think of the last time you got a cold or flu or COVID, right? What's one of the classic symptoms? Fatigue.
0: Fatigue.
1: What's, yeah. what's one of the classic symptoms after doing extreme over-exercising, right? Fatigue. Yeah. You're going to be fatigued and run down for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's imagine if you're in the kitchen prepping dinner, chopping vegetables and whatever else. And then somebody walks in, uh, and puts a gun to your head and says, give me all your money. Right. You're not just going to keep chopping vegetables and going about prepping dinner. You're going to stop that activity and handle the stress that uh, the, the, the danger that's present. Right. And that's, that's exactly what mitochondria do. We can't expect them to continue to produce abundant energy when they're under attack.
0: That's incredible. So how does a person in this world then, how do we take stock of where we're at with our mitochondria? Like when we're tired, I mean, so there's the obvious, right? I mean, if you have a major infection or, you know, there's obviously major illnesses, clearly that need to be taken care of. And so we understand that we're tired, but but fatigue is a much more, there's a word that's escaping me right now, but it's kind of like, it's more subtle than that, right? You get people who just seem to be tired all the time. And so clearly their mitochondria are not able, are busy. That, I mean, and what you're basically saying is the mitochondria is doing something else. They're doing as much as they need to do to kind of keep the lights on, but you don't get more than that right now.
1: Right. right? Yeah, so, so there's one more layer to this story that, that I should explain and it'll allow for maybe a more complete discussion of this. So the first layer is mitochondria as either energy generators or cell defense mediators, essentially. And they're either in energy mode or defense mode in in proportion to the degree that they perceive themselves to be under attack, how much stress you, you have in your, in your environment. Um, the other critically important layer to this story is how big and strong are your mitochondria to begin and on. This is something that I that I find is almost universally neglected and not well understood. And I think it's actually one of the biggest factors in not only chronic fatigue, but our, our risk of many different diseases and the rate of cellular aging itself. So let me explain a couple um layers of data here. We know that with each decade of life, cellular mitochondrial capacity declines by about 10%. That, that maybe doesn't seem like that much, but here's another way of saying it. The average 70 year old has lost 75% of their mitochondrial capacity. And this is measured in in numerous studies. They, they found this, um, the actual number of mitochondria that are present declines by about 50 percent and the 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 uh capacity the energy production capacity of each mitochondria that is present also declines by about 50 percent and if you do the math on that it's a, it's a total of a 75 percent reduction
0: seriously okay. if you did math on that okay carry on yes <laughs> <It's, laughs> the ending to the story yeah keep going yeah.
1: so um what this means, another way of saying this to take this out of the realm of percentages, is we go from 20-year-olds with Ferrari engine in our cells to 70-year-olds with lawnmower engines in our cells. And that is a massive, massive factor in, of course, our energy levels.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: um wh- why is that the case? Well, like Obviously, a bigger, more powerful engine will produce more energy, more abundantly. Now, the other big aspect of this is that it ties into our resilience threshold. So this initial concept that I presented to us is, are your mitochondria tip teetered in the direction of energy mode or defense mode? Again, based on the stress load that they're under. The second big question to integrate into that is how easy... Are they being tipped from energy mode into defense mode? And basically, the way that this works is the more mitochondria you have, the higher your energy production capacity, the more that you have uh, essentially a larger energetic buffering capacity. You have a larger adaptive capacity to handle stressors, whether they be poor diet, sleep deprivation, circadian rhythm disruption, environmental toxicants, psychological stress, whatever any Mm -hmm. and all types of stressors. You have a larger capacity to handle them while maintaining high energy production, health, homeostasis. Right. With the, meaning the mitochondria are still teetered into energy mode. However, when we start to lose our mitochondria, when they atrophy, when they shrink, when they die off, and you've got 50% less or 75% less of your mitochondrial energy production capacity, now, every little stressor switches energy mode off and teeters you into the direction of defense mode.
0: Right. You lose your resilience that so you lose your buffer. Basically.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Now, the 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 ba- people might be thinking, well, geez, that really sucks that with aging, we lose so much of our mitochondria. The good news is it's mm-hmm. actually not a natural product of aging itself. Yeah, it is actually the result of modern lifestyles. And we know this because when we look at 70 year olds who are lifelong exercisers, they Mm -hmm. have the same mitochondrial capacity as young adults, they don't lose 75% of their mitochondrial capacity.
0: Good, because I was ready to jump out a window at this point. I'm like, wait, what? No, there's got to be another way. But I I was going to challenge you because I'm like, I know 70 and 80-year-olds who have more energy than 40-year-olds. So I'm liking this. Keep going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so what this means is that this, again, it's not a natural product of aging. So what is it it a product of? Well, I gave you a big clue by saying lifelong exercisers. Mm -hmm. What, What this means is that the best way to think about it is like this. If you've ever broken a bone, you've, you've, you've um, broken a leg or an arm and you got a cast on for eight weeks, then eight weeks later, you went to the doctor, they sawed off that cast, you looked down at your arm or leg and it was half the size of the other one. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and that's eight weeks. Yeah. In eight weeks, your body got rid of a huge chunk of muscle tissue that was present on one of your four limbs. <laughs> and the reason why, is because it the body only cares about survival and Absolutely. it's and it's merciless about getting rid of anything that isn't needed for survival so as soon as you immobilize that that joint and those muscles in a cast and you're not using them the body goes okay i guess we don't need all those leg muscles to survive anymore let's get rid of all that energetically costly muscle tissue and so all that muscle fiber that muscle tissue atrophies it shrinks and it goes away in eight weeks in two months
0: it's crazy, and it takes a lot of mitochondria with it right because muscle is extremely dense in mitochondria
1: that's right now now consider that that same exact principle applies internally at the cellular level with our mitochondria and if our mitochondria are not being adequately stimulated and challenged The body goes, I guess we don't need them for survival anymore. Let's get rid of them. So they Mm -hmm. shrink, they shrink and atrophy, just like a muscle that's immobilized does, that's not being stimulated or challenged. They shrink and atrophy. And that's why you lose, that's why most people lose 75% of their mitochondrial capacity as they age. But the the good news is, this is a dynamic process and just as you can regain muscle by challenging challenging it again we can do the same thing with our mitochondria through hormetic stress so these these are the two key principles to understand when we're trying to optimize our mitochondrial health we remove a lot of the toxic chronic stressors that are shifting them into defense mode. And we rebuild our mitochondrial networks. We rebuild our mitochondria bigger and stronger and stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis to create more mitochondria youthful levels, ideally of mitochondria such that we expand our resilience threshold to youthful levels.
0: I love it. Okay, good. Okay, good. Because you know, I was you were losing me there for a minute. I was like, okay, this is going to be the Debbie Downer of the podcast here. <laughs> so, so there's hope, and 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 I love this because you know where we're going here is, and it's where you started. It's not about another supplement. It's not about. I mean, look, it's not like PMF, and and it's not like there's not great tech and supplements out there to support mitochondria. But your point being. And and this is the pl- next place I wanna go. So that if you don't use them, you're gonna lose them just like anything else. Yeah. And and I mean, and it's so interesting, right? Because this is how the body works. You don't use a muscle. Muscle is metabolically expensive, bye-bye. Even bone, like what's osteoporosis? I mean, it's it's a lot of different things, but how do we rebuild bone? The most effective way to rebuild bone is to challenge the bone and to give the body a reason to build bone. So right, right. it's it's all about those those hormetic stressors, as you say. So why don't we take the listeners on a little journey here and in a hierarchy of needs for maintaining mitochondria, I mean, we know that that challenge is there. We need the challenge. But before the challenge, maybe what we need to do is understand what are the layers of stressors that are the ones that are most likely to kind of drain and zap or d de- destabilize the mitochondria.
1: Yeah. So nutrition is a is obviously a big one. I think circadian rhythm and sleep is also massive in mm-hmm. in this story. Um, sleep is and circadian rhythm are, are are critically important uh to support mitochondrial health for a number of reasons. Um number one, during that sleep period we are supposed to be doing a few things at the mitochondria level one we're ramping up autophagy and mitophagy which is a quality control process for mitochondria so the body is going in and it's doing this cleanup process it's basically saying this this mitochondria this part portion of mitochondria got damaged and is dysfunctional let's pinch this portion off of this membrane and let's send this over here to the lysosome for degradation and let's maintain this healthy portion of the mitochondria. And that's part of the quality control process for maintaining a healthy pool of mitochondria. Like, yeah. I was picture um, like a, a, a factory line in a in, in a in a big factory producing some widget, you know. And you got thousands of these widgets going down a conveyor belt, and people inspecting them. This one's good. This one's good. Oh, this one's broken. Let's toss this one in the garbage. Yeah. Right? That that yep. process needs to be happening every night. At, 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 at the mitochondrial level. And if we don't have a strong circadian rhythm, if we don't have an adequate fasting window, which is sort of how nutrition ties into the circadian rhythm and sleep story, um, and we we are not sleeping deeply and adequately enough, we're not going to have adequate quality control and cleanup of dysfunctional mitochondria. Um, At the same time, we now know that melatonin is playing a critical role in mitochondrial health. And this also integrates, it integrates with the circadian rhythm story as well as the light story as Mm -hmm. well. And so we can add that as maybe a third factor here. So nutrition, circadian rhythm and sleep, as well as light. And melatonin is probably the single most powerful mitochondrial antioxidant. No. Now, We used to have kind of a narrative of this pineal gland produced melatonin and that's circulating and sort of bathing the mitochondria. I think there's an element of truth in that, but we've also done animal experiments now where um, you remove the pineal gland and you remove melatonin production from the pineal gland and then you go and measure melatonin production at the mitochondrial level and you have the same- of melatonin in yeah. the mitochondria. And what that means is, oh, there's another source of melatonin in, in the body. And it turns out that melatonin is this ancient antioxidant. Um, it, in evolutionary history, it's been produced by ancient bacteria and preserved over uh, millennia. Um, and now has it been integrated into the human body and the bodies of most animal species. I don't know if it's all, but certainly most. And I should look that up, actually. And now I'm curious. To now know if I'm curious. All I'm curious. About, I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about my dog because lately she's been waking up at three <laughs> o'clock. Maybe she needs melatonin. Dogs definitely have
1: melatonin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that what I know. Um, so it turns out that it's been preserved, and that it's such a critically important antioxidant for mitochondria that mitochondria actually evolved to produce it themselves. So, That's mitochondria crazy. produce their own supply of melatonin. And um, I think that the circadian pineal gland source is important, and the mitochondrial source is important. Um, let me. Let me mention a few. There's so much I want to say that everything's like an I, I, interconnected yeah, web. It's hard to know which piece to go into, but yeah. yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I wonder if the pineal, you know, just from my work and study of the bioregulators, when we talk about the pineal gland and melatonin, a lot of the language that's used is around regulating melatonin, yeah, normalizing melatonin. And I wonder if the pineal gland is not only acting as, and I don't know the answer to this, it would be interesting to know, but it's not just acting to drive production of melatonin, but could it be somehow, again, just like the mitochondria are sensors, and we know that the body is nothing if it's not redundancy upon redundancy upon redundancy. If the pineal gland is not also playing some kind of a role of regulating overall production of melatonin on different levels mitochondria and otherwise. So
1: that's a that's a super interesting thought. That thought has actually never crossed my mind, but I think it's plausible. And there's one piece of information from a melatonin researcher named Doris Lowe, Mm -hmm. who um, who said something interesting that never made much sense to me until you said what you just said right now, which is She has, um, when it comes to supplemental melatonin, taking exogenous melatonin, there's always a concern around, um, when you take a hormone exogenously, usually it will create some kind of negative feedback loop where it's down-regulating your own internal endogenous supply of that. So classic example is like, you inject steroids, testosterone, and then your balls shrink and start producing less of their own testosterone. And that's generally kind of a universal principle in human physiology. Mm -hmm. However, um, there is some research around melatonin, and Doris Lowe argues that taking exogenous melatonin actually increases your own internal production of melatonin further. It amplifies the internal production. Again, didn't make much sense to me, but... When viewed in the light of what you were just saying actually does make sense and is plausible, um, and there is research testing this negative feedback where they've looked at exogenous use of melatonin to see that if it decreases our own internal supply and it doesn't yeah um so um, I think that's a a very reasonable theory and and would make sense that that's the case now, um. So the circadian rhythm and light exposure through the eyes, particularly blue and, and, and to some extent green wavelengths of light feeding back through receptors in the eyes and then being transmitted to the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain, um, that is determining the level of melatonin production. Mm-hmm. Okay so when we get the absence of those wavelengths of light the brain says oh it's it's nighttime it's the time to wind down go into rest relaxation sleep mode let's ramp up melatonin production yeah so melatonin's on a diurnal curve it's low during the daytime it ramps up at night um, the other factor is also light at the cellular level at the mm-hmm. mitochondrial level in terms of mitochondrial production of melatonin also light but a diff a different wavelength of light it's actually red light
0: i was waiting for you to that, get there <laughs> yeah
1: yeah that that and and this is largely thanks to the work of a melatonin researcher named russell Ryder, who um has found that with red light exposure through the skin directly at the cellular level this red light these red light photons penetrate into the mitochondria of our cells and ramp up melatonin production Interesting. so It would seem that getting adequate sunlight exposure during the day and perhaps also firelight in the evenings Mm -hmm. in modern times, also using red light therapy devices um, might be extraordinarily important for mitochondrial health as being mediated through this melatonin story.
0: And because melatonin as a a reactive oxygen species neutralizer, like as an antioxidant
1: exactly and and I would argue not only so it, it has a, a role as a direct antioxidant but even more important than that it, it interacts with our endogenous antioxidant system what's called right. the Are the antioxidant response element that consists of glutathione catalase superoxide dismutase yeah. and the 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 bathing of melatonin each night uh, the bathing of mitochondria in melatonin each night, acts to recharge that internal antioxidant defense system anti- antioxidant and detoxification defense system. So that after that night of sleep, now you wake up with that system recharge so that during the next day's exposures to whatever toxicants you may encounter or psychological stress, you may encounter that system is charged up and has the resilience, the buffering capacity to handle the stressors, the exercise, the toxicants, whatever you're exposed to to neutralize it and prevent oxidative damage.
0: Got it. Love it. So sleep. Top of the list. Light. Totally. Top of the list. And again, you know, not the blue light just as important as the red light, just at the right time and the right dose.
1: That's right. And at- yeah. And and to take that one step further, there's research from Japan where they've looked at the differential in light exposure during the daytime versus the nighttime. Um, so think of it like this. If you think of maybe a typical person in modern society, they wake up, they turn on the lights in their room, they're looking at their phone, they're turning on the TV, watching the news, getting ready for work. They're <laughs> then getting in their car, driving to their office, sitting in an office all day and they indoor, mm-hmm. indoor lighting, uh, office lighting, and then, Uh, staring at computer screens, cell phone screens, and then they go home and they're sitting in indoor lighting in their house, looking at cell phone screens and computer screens and TV screens. There isn't a huge differential between the light exposure intensity they got during the day versus what they're getting at night. There's are most of the day they're in under indoor lighting, looking at electronic screens. If and That lack of differential makes it difficult for your circadian rhythm to function optimally Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. for it to regulate um, the hormonal rhythms that it regulates. There was a guy you had on your podcast, uh, an English guy who talked about peptides, who had an expression that I love, who I've I've stolen from him. Um, I forget the guys. I think it's Phil McCann's. I want to say I want to
0: say it's got to be Phil Micans. He's always got really great little zingers. He he delivers.
1: (laughs) So his his expression on the circadian rhythm was um, if you have an orchestra without a conductor, you have noise. If you have an orchestra with a conductor, you have music. and i love that expression because it perfectly describes what the circadian rhythm is doing because it's got all you've got all these hormones you've got melatonin you've got cortisol you've got growth hormone um you've got testosterone and thyroid hormone that are all being heavily influenced by the circadian system and there's also a bunch of neurotransmitters that are being influenced by Mm -hmm. it and um all of those hormones will still exist even if you have total circadian rhythm dysregulation but they won't be making music they'll be making noise
0: yeah so they'll and, be up at the wrong time down at the wrong time you'll just kind of have chaos and then you have people who can't fall asleep at night and are exhausted during the day
1: exactly light is the primary thing that's going to help that circadian rhythm create hormonal music out of all those different hormones that i just mentioned
0: yeah no and i think you know one thing that stuck with me when you were talking about nutrition that i i just want to point out to the audience a little bit is you weren't so much talking about food when you talked Mm. about nutrition you talked about fasting yeah and not that i'm not i'm not saying everybody has to run out and stop eating for five days just chill Mm. out but i but the idea that you're presenting to the audience which i think is a very interesting concept both because it's what you're not doing versus what you, so you're not adding something to the system, you're moving something from the system, and I think that this is, in a world where we're trying to buy our way out of problems, so we're just adding, 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 adding. The, the idea of stopping and thinking, what can I remove to help the situation, is an interesting concept. And when you were talking about nutrition, you were talking about fasting, and what you were really only just talking about is the fasting is the is the window when you don't eat at night. So that it frees your body to do that work that you're describing, which is the cellular cleanup, the mitochondrial cleanup, getting rid of the waste in the brain, the whole nine yards. If you're digesting and breaking down food, the crews are distracted. There's not enough resources to do it all. And so you're robbing yourself of that system. So I just wanted to kind of draw attention to that because I think I think it's it's such an important thing for people to really kind of get their heads around that it's not always adding a thing. It's very often what you don't do. So we're adding the right light at the right time. Like Even if you stand outside and drink your coffee in the morning just for the sake of seeing the light and then make sure you get outside at some point when the sun's going down so that your brain and your body can almost orient themselves in time mm-hmm. kind of thing.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the human physiology requires cycling between different states. You know, yeah. we have these silly arguments like um, mTOR is bad. You want to lower your mTOR <laughs> levels, and um, and I'm like, okay, well, go look at studies on mTOR and mortality, and what you'll find is a U-shaped curve.
0: Yes. Where Thank you. Low
1: levels are just as bad as high levels as far as increasing your risk of dying. Um, And it's the middle range that is the most protective. Now, what even that is masking is that what you really want is cycles of spikes in mTOR and then declines in mTOR. You want high levels at times and low levels at times. What is toxic is, you know, the sedentary standard American diet overweight person who's chronically over consuming food and not doing much exercise where they're chronically overstimulating mTOR. And what is also bad is somebody who's chronically under stimulating mTOR and is not adequately going into that, that pushing that anabolic switch. Yeah. What, what is optimal is somebody who is, um, spiking mTOR through resistance exercise, through adequate protein consumption, and then also integrating fasting periods and low calorie periods and cycling between those two states where Also, during the daytime, we want to be pushing some anabolic. Buttons, switches, eating food, pushing that protein synthesis button, working out, doing exercise. And we need to cycle that with an adequate window of. Resting and sleeping and switching all that stuff off. Yeah. And I think in in the same theme, when we talk about hormetic stressors, we also need to think about cycling periods of hormetic stress of intense hormetic stress pushing the boundaries of what our individual physiology is is comfortable with so that we can stimulate growth of our mitochondria Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: make them bigger and stronger and to pair that with intense recovery and regeneration rituals where we're we're doing massage we're um listening to music we're chilling out we're resting and we're not constantly in go 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 mode we're optimizing our circadian rhythm we're optimizing our sleep we're making time to spend with loved ones and have sex and all that all that good stuff that helps us regenerate we have to do both and i think part of the toxicity of the modern world is we're losing that oscillation between the you know the cycling back and forth between these states and we're chronically overstimulating mTOR. We're chronically overeating and eating, you know, 14, 16 hour windows of the day and not having an adequate fasting period to go into catabolic states and autophagy and mitophagy. We're constantly in go mode psychologically, physically, and we, we're, we're not pushing the hormetic stress button hard enough and we're not pushing the rest rest uh, and sleep hard enough. Yeah. You know, no. so we're kind of in this toxic middle ground, this like no man's land between the spikes of healthy stress and the intense regeneration.
0: Yeah. And that's a we're that's not giving a, our body either. Such a fascinating point. I love that you just said that because you know, I can't think of a single thing that we apply to the human body that doesn't work better in pulses. Mm-hmm. Like not one, even like, yeah. you know, in my world where we talk about peptides and people will say to me, well, why can't I just stay on peptide XYZ indefinitely? Cause it makes me feel good. And I'm like, because that's just not the way your body works. Yeah. You know, even look at hormones, hormones come and go come why is growth hormones. So bloody hard to measure because it's happening in waves and in pulses. It's yeah. that, you know, the, the body tells you just the way the body works tells us how we need to function to support Yeah, I mean it look look
1: at also thyroid hormone diurnal curve, cortisol diurnal curve, melatonin diurnal curve, testosterone diurnal curve. You know these these things exist in cycles, you know. It's yeah. not just like here yeah. all the time.
0: Hey guys, guess what? We have another sponsor to thank, but this sponsor is possibly just as obsessed about longevity as you and I are. We are all about longevity on this podcast, right? Well, this sponsor is about finding the most innovative, incredible longevity compounds, supplements, and strategies that you can possibly imagine. And as a matter of fact, they market my most favorite longevity strategy and supplement, which are bioregulator peptides. The name of the company is Profound Health. Profound-health.com is their website. They're, you can use discount code Longevity15 off your first order, but not only do they have bioregulator peptides, which you know that I talk about all the time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to go back and listen to episodes 42, 46, or 47 of this podcast. You're going to be let in on a huge longevity secret. But on top of that, they also have amazing supplements all devoted to longevity and healthy aging. So definitely check out profound-health.com and make sure to use discount code longevity 15 on your first order. And now let's get back to the show. Another idea, which again, it's one of these things that's free. Looking at your Instagram account these days, you're by the ocean, you're surfing, you're barefoot, you're in the sand, you're in the sun. So you got the light figured out. The whole idea of grounding and being in touch with the ground. Like, I mean, you know, one of the things that we we talk about and some people are more concerned about than others, but there's no doubt that our bodies are being assaulted, if you will, by non, increasing amount of non-native electromagnetic frequency. It's just coming at us from all sides. And the idea of helping the body to regulate by getting your feet in the ground, on on the soil or grounding, what are your you know, and this is, again, this is an incredibly important concept, I think for mitochondria to, and I wonder if we were to ground enough, if we were able to get ourselves to connect with the earth enough, if it can actually help the body to deal with all this electromagnetic, non-native electric EMFs. Because I mean, EMFs are a fact of life. The the earth has EMF, but it's this whole idea of non-native EMF. And without getting into tinfoil hat, territory <laughs> like, you know in terms of what would be reasonable to ask people to think about and to focus on again in the world of what can we do to support the mitochondria at a foundational level before we start to add the pqqs and the all the because those are great you know but before we start to add that stuff what do we need to be doing at a foundational level so that those things can do what they can do for us
1: yeah so I'm going to preface by saying, I don't think I'm going to have a great answer to this question. It's okay.
0: Um, you don't have to <laughs> The
1: I'll answer non-native EMFs first, uh, to be honest, I spent a long time reading the literature on this. I also spent a long time reading many years ago, reading the works of, uh, of, uh, Jack Cruz on this topic who was super Big on this. I don't know yep. if he still is. I haven't followed his work in a few years. Um, I have friends uh, like like Nick Pinot, Nicholas Pinot. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I know who him. Runs the e- EMF Summit, uh, and I've had on the podcast a couple times. I've spent a lot of time looking at the literature. I'm not overly impressed with it, and I don't know what to make of it. I'm I'm of The mindset where I engage the precautionary principle, I think it's wise to engage just from a philosophical perspective. This is something that is new to humans. There's no uh, ancestral parallel for all of this new EMF that we're adding to our lives. Um, I think it's really wise to be cautious with it. Having said that, I have not seen overwhelming evidence that it's one of the biggest factors in the decline of human health am i open to that possibility absolutely i'm happy to be convinced of that but the current body of evidence i don't think is especially compelling in that regard um there are certainly people like jack cruz who are you know making these very lengthy explanations for why it's like the seemingly the the biggest factor in in you know the decline of human health whatever. It's not that I'm skeptical. It's just that I don't think that the current body of evidence warrants it, whether that's a limitation of the current research and that it'll change in five or 10 years. I'm totally open to all of that possibility. Um, But I don't spend a lot of time talking about EMFs for that reason. So engage the precautionary principle. Like I have a wired internet right now. I don't have Wi-Fi in my house. You know, that, that I don't put the cell phone next to my ear. I don't mm-hmm. have my cell phone on my body all the time. You know, that, that sort of thing. I measure, um, the, uh, magnetic fields and electrical fields from the walls of the the electrical circuits in my house to make sure that my my beds and my kids beds are not near any high magnetic fields or anything like that like make those precautions but i don't think it's beyond that i don't think it's worth spending huge amount of time focused on that um there are even researchers like um sort of legendary uh, longevity researcher vince giuliano Mm -hmm. who do you know do you know him
0: no but i'm feeling like i need to write this down and uh look him up
1: i i actually i've been meaning to interview him on my podcast forever because i've loved his work for a long time i and he's generally not around but i just saw a friend of mine joe cohen interview him on his podcast
0: oh no kidding uh, okay um just it just
1: came out maybe a week ago so now it just reminded me and i need to reach out to him he he's run um a website on anti-aging and longevity for a long time. He's sort of one of the the OGs in this field, who's been uh, talking a lot about um, longevity and mitochondria bef- long before anybody else was mm-hmm. um, and hormetic stress long before anybody else was. He was the first one that clued me into that whole story. And I was one of the first to be talking about all that stuff. Um, and uh, anyway, so Vince Giuliano actually, when asked about the subject of EMFs, made the case that he felt it was hormetic in nature, that he felt it wasn't uh, that much to be concerned about, and that um, that, you know, that the, the human body has the capacity to adapt to it. Um, uh, of course, that depends on the individual's resilience and buffering capacity to adapt. And somebody exactly. who's in very poor health might, be over might might just experience negative harmful effects from it yeah anyway those that's my sort of jumbled thoughts around emfs
0: i i like your thoughts on emfs honestly because they they kind of align intuitively with where i've been going with it i don't I don't lose my mind over EMFs. I have friends who are definitely much more sensitive to EMFs than I am and what you ha- what I think we have to ask ourselves is to what you the point you just made right now is do they have less wiggle room? You know, are their bodies being challenged in other ways that make it that it's just one more thing that they just can't cope with, right?
1: Well, and- I'll make the story even more complicated. To the point of emf sensitivity people who say you know that they experience those symptoms Um, there's a number of studies that have tested this and they stick people who claim to be emf sensitive who can feel wi-fi and things like that and have various symptoms from it um, in a room with either real wi-fi or sham wi-fi a modem that has lights on it but doesn't actually emit wi-fi And people who claim to be EMF sensitive cannot tell the difference. There are numerous studies where they've shown that people who claim to have symptoms from Wi-Fi cannot tell the difference. Interesting. In the same vein, there's a video on YouTube. This will be a little bit of a spoiler, but um, I'll ruin the effect. But I'll just describe it. Um, The video on YouTube is called This Video Will Hurt, and the video starts by with this sort of intense, serious, uh, sciencey sounding voice that says right now you're listening to an ultrasonic sound it's, Mm. it's at a frequency that your brain, your ears and your brain cannot sense, but it's here and it's been proven to be toxic to the brain. And soon within seconds, you will be experiencing headaches. And by now you're probably experiencing your head throbbing in pain, da 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 and it goes on like that. You know, it's not exactly yeah. those words, but it's in that theme. And um, I've done this with a number of people, and there's a, absolutely a chunk of people who uh, will have those symptoms of headaches and throbbing pain, and da 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 da, and then the, the the voice in the video goes, and actually there is no sound here, there is no frequency, and everything I just said is made up nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the whole video is on the subject of the nocebo effect.
0: Yeah, the power of the mind. For right. sure.
1: Now, um, w- one more layer is uh, at Stanford's Mind Body lab, there's a researcher named uh, Aliyah Crum who's done research on stress. And they subject subjects to um, uh, uh, several uh, types of stressors. And prior to that, they, they give sub- in this study, they gave subjects either, a three-minute video on all the negative effects of stress, like um, causing yeah. hypertension and depressing your immune function and disturbing your sleep and um, being neurotoxic and da 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 da, and um, and the other group they gave a three-minute video on the positive effects of stress, that it yeah. creates hormones that are energy mobilizing, that it sharpens thinking, that it actually stimulates increased. Um, immune function that, you know, all all these different short-term beneficial effects of stress. And they subjected both groups to the same stress. And subjectively, the group that watched the negative stuff on stress reported all these negative symptoms. And the group that watched the positive effects of stress reported all these positive symptoms and the absence of all those negative ones. Yeah. So we need to also incorporate into this story of EMFs What are our narratives, our beliefs about stress? And we need to also recognize the potential for. Our our self-created nocebo effect to be worse than the actual true biological effects of that stress. Yeah. And, and that's something we certainly see around, like in nutrition circles with different diets, like people can develop a they can become deathly afraid of eating lentils because there's lectins in there that they're afraid are going to kill them. Like how, how much of a nocebo effect are mm-hmm. they going to create with a food that is actually has an, a huge amount of science showing health benefits?
0: Yeah. In, no, in the vast sure. majority
1: of people like are, are there individuals who maybe can't consume that food? Sure. As with any food. But we are humans, we humans are are masters of self-induced suffering Mm -hmm. and nocebo effects and the sort of the privileged class of the already generally healthy people who are into health optimization, like people like you and me, uh, um, are, you know, start are always trying to find some new way of optimizing. But there's so many people out there putting forth these. Narratives about the negative effects of various things of this food or that food. I mean, we've demonized every food in existence at this point.
0: Everyone. We, yeah.
1: We, I think all we can consume is water. That's the only one that hasn't been demonized by somebody.
0: Yeah, we're careful with that. <laughs> you know, there's. <laughs>
1: You know, Um, so, I mean, there's a subset of people out there who are afraid that red meat, you know, if you ask vegans who eat red meat, they'll report, oh, I feel really heavy and it feels like it just sits in my stomach and I have low energy. And and then if you ask somebody who's a carnivore person uh, how they feel, they're they're like deathly afraid of eating kale. They're afraid that the, the toxins in kale are going to destroy them, right? Like, I mean, uh, anyway, all of this anyway, is nonsense yeah. and yeah. great great examples of how humans can create suffering for ourselves in, for no good reason. Inflict
0: damage on themselves. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, let's get back to our story of the mitochondria. I feel like we've left the mitochondria... Uh, story behind a little bit. And I want to get back to it because I want to make sure that we leave the audience with some, you know, Ari Witten gold to walk away with, you know, in this world of, if we start with Ferrari mitochondria and we could end up in our seventies with lawnmower mitochondria, which, you know, in a world where the bar is now really high, right? Not only do we want to make it to our 80s or 90s, or in some cases beyond, but we want to be kicking ass while we're out there. We want to be hiking and enjoying life and having quality of life. So how are we going to help the people listening to this podcast, you know, not despair and say, okay, guys, here's your mitochondrial diet. Like here are the things that we know that you can do that is going to help to, you know, you may not have Ferrari mitochondria in your 70s but you can have pretty damn good mitochondria. I mean, I have parents who even though they're not in necessarily perfect health, they're in their 80s and they are still working. And I believe that the reason that they're working is that they have energy, but they have energy because they're still working. Like I think it's it's a it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. And I send them lots of stuff and they have a PMF mat and all the things, but but those those things that not sitting around piece the not languishing and allowing yourself to downregulate as you get older because you believe going back to our nocebo discussion you believe that this is what happens and that narrative is sometimes even fed by our health professionals oh your X Y Z age you can expect that this is going to happen now right totally. yeah. so so what are we gonna how are we gonna now you know let's present our audience with a. You know, with a not necessarily a recipe, but like a, a a roadmap that helps them to to say, okay, here are some of the things I need to do to make sure that this is not my path.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a blueprint since my brand Perfect. is the energy blueprint.
0: Yes, <laughs> blueprint. Sorry, wrong term. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I should have <should've> remembered that.
1: <laughs> so, in the in the theme of kind of the the frame, the conceptual framework that I've presented here. Number one is you you need to do a self-inventory of what specific stressors are creating this excessive danger signaling that your mitochondria are sensing that's sending them into defense mode. Right. So uh, for some people, it might be just one thing. Maybe it's, hey, I was in in, an environmental accident or I worked in a job where I was exposed to tons of lead. And ever since then, I, you know, I've had fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, for other people, it's like, oh, night shift work for other people. It's I've been eating a poor diet. Oh, I haven't been exercising. Um, circadian rhythm is a huge one for many people. Psychological stress, of course, and and trauma is a huge one for many, many people. Um, Gut health is a huge one for many many people. We need to do that self inventory. And maybe it's also the other extreme. Maybe it's like chronic overexercising. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to exercising. I'm doing it excessively and creating a problem from that. For most people, I, I don't know about your demographic. The people listening to this podcast probably are different. But in the general population, it's going to be a combination of a, a few different things. Right. It's going to be poor nutrition combined with uh, large amounts of environmental toxicant exposure from all kinds of sources, from the diet, from their homes, from their personal care products, uh, from the water they're drinking, the air they're breathing. Um, circadian rhythm and sleep disruption certainly is a big one. Light deficiency, sunlight deficiency. And you know now we know that that's not just the vitamin D story, but also The melatonin story and Mm -hmm. the nitric oxide story, which we didn't touch on today, but the melatonin, I think, is going to be recognized as a huge factor in the benefits of sun exposure. You know, right now we have this kind of narrative like, oh, you can replace sun exposure by popping a vitamin D pill and it it doesn't work like that. We get a lot more from the sun and I think the melatonin Story is going to be increasingly recognized as a a big thing that we get from the sun. We need to optimize our gut health. We need to clean up our environment, right? We need to do that self-inventory and assess what are these big things in my life that are causing my mitochondria to operate in wartime metabolism instead of peacetime metabolism, instead of energy mode. Okay. So that's number one. And number two we need to recognize that modern lifestyles are anti-hormetic or non-hormetic lifestyles by and Mm -hmm. large and so we are missing at the same time that we have a lot of these chronic bad sources of stressors toxicants chronic psychological stress these kinds of things chronic sleep deprivation we are missing the good hormetic stressors in our life in the modern lifestyle it used to be built into our lifestyles we used to get exposed to cold and heat we used to have to move our bodies we used to get exposed to the sun we -hmm. used to go through periods of um short supply of food and and have to deal with that right all of these and and phytochemicals we used all of these hormetic stressors were built into our lives ancestrally and now modern lifestyles with um sedentary lifestyles with food instead of having to go gather or hunt it it's you know you walked five <laughs> feet away and it's in your refrigerator yeah. uh, or you drive to through a drive-through and you you're eating it in your car um, sitting in climate-controlled rooms, uh eating processed food that's super dense in calories without so much phytochemicals eating feeding windows that are way too long fasting windows that are way too short we we've systematically eliminated all of these hormetic stressors from our Mm -hmm. lives Mm -hmm. and what that is doing is the same thing that a cast does to a muscle when you immobilize a muscle it atrophies same thing when you remove hormetic stress from your lifestyle your mitochondria atrophy yeah and what we need to do as the second piece of this is reintegrate systematically reintegrate hormetic stress into our lives um, in the form of exercise and there's a whole discussion to be had around that and the types of that and what is going to boost mitochondrial health most effectively and um breath holding practice and fasting and um, nutrient cycling and cold exposure and heat exposure and phytochemicals and all this stuff needs to be reintegrated into our life to stimulate and challenge mitochondria and cause them to grow bigger and stronger and keep them big and strong as we age.
0: I love it. Yeah. No, I think that's, I love everything that you just said. And this whole idea that we've sacrificed our health in the name of comfort, of chronic Mm -hmm. comfort, right? Yeah and you know it's funny the thing i the one thing that i've been thinking about is when we think about people who eat those energy dense foods so we overeat we overconsume calories you would think that those people would have an abundance of energy hmm. and yet they are the most fatigued people
1: that's exactly right
0: right yeah. And, right. so, and, that, and, and that's yeah.
1: that's the problem with seeing mitochondria as just mindless energy generators. They just take in carbs and fats and pump out energy. It's like,
0: exactly okay,
1: well, wouldn't it be great if the whole solving the the epidemic of chronic fatigue was as simple as telling people to eat more carbs and fats? Just, just eat right? more. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it way. has the opposite effect. <laughs> people need to eat less, if anything.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. So let's say we've got our our audience is like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm 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 gonna do the the pulsing, the cycling, the light, the all the basics. So now just before we finish up, because we're gonna come up on time soon and you know, you need to get back outside and watch the sunset in Costa Rica. <laughs> I'm just a little jealous, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Once we've taken care of of these foundations and we've gotten this these pulses in, when it comes to the world of supplements in your world or things that we can add now what are the most powerful ones? Like if you had to pick, let's say, I don't know, let's pick a number because there's there's a whole whack of them out there. Uh, some have better research around them than others. Some are very controversial. What are the heavy hitters in this world that you think, you know, would be pretty good for most people to focus on once they've taken care of that foundation?
1: Yeah. I, I want to mention one compound here that falls into this answer, but also links back with this Um topic we were discussing earlier around pulsing yeah this is this is the thing I wanted to say that I forgot
0: oh good Um, okay good
1: (laughs) okay so it it, it'll integrate into this answer here's how I'm going to link it up with this um one of the most common supplements that we find in like in the energy supplements category is caffeine Mm -hmm. And, um, we talked earlier about, you know, you, you gave this example of people who are saying, well, why don't I just use this substance all the time because I feel good on it. Okay. Well, let me give you an example of why to illustrate your point, um, why we don't want to do that. And caffeine is a perfect example of it. When we look at this and I'm going to do a brief treatment of this, this is something I could talk about for 30 minutes, but the brief Mm -hmm. treatment is, um, when we look at the research on caffeine and energy we see this really impressive body of research that shows that if you give people caffeine um, you see a boost in physical performance endurance time to exhaustion reaction time mental performance um, mood energy alertness all these these boosts and it's like wow what an amazing compound why don't we just use this all the time right well Unfortunately, all of those benefits go away in about two weeks of daily use. Mm -hmm. And um, all of those benefits only exist in what are called caffeine naive people. Mm. And that means in all of the research where they do those studies, they take people who don't normally consume caffeine or who specifically were asked to not consume caffeine for several weeks prior to the study, that's caffeine naive. Then they give them caffeine and they measure the improvements in those various parameters I just mentioned. And all of that's super impressive. However, um, when you do that chronically, well, let me explain how it works. Um, We have this balance of neurotransmitters in the brain. Some are stimulatory, some are inhibitory. The brain's always trying to maintain the proper balance. One of these inhibitory relaxing sort of uh, neurotransmitters that, that brings down your energy, makes you sleepy, is called adenosine. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a certain amount of adenosine floating around in our brain all the time. The way, caf- so when adenosine, the adenosine molecule hits an adenosine receptor in the brain, it triggers this cascade, which lowers energy levels. The way that caffeine works is by interacting with those same adenosine receptors. The only difference is when it hits that receptor, it doesn't trigger that cascade. All it does is plug up the receptor and prevent adenosine from getting in. That's what gives us that amazing boost in energy and and mood and performance and all these different things. Sounds great, okay? The problem is the brain as a system that likes to be in balance goes, when you do that daily for a couple of weeks goes hey we're out of balance we're, mm-hmm. we have too much stimulation going on we've got a deficiency in adenosine let's correct this situation so with daily caffeine use it adapts by increasing the amount of adenosine in the system and increasing the amount of adenosine receptors in that system so and so what what happens as a result of that is now when that caffeine leaves your system you have increased adenosine signaling another way of saying that is you've lowered your baseline levels of energy right so here's what's not a good energy supplement is the main thing that's being sold as an as an energy supplement and the main go-to thing that most people use to boost their energy which is caffeine it works great in an acute context when used intermittently when you use it every other day, let's say you use it before workouts three or four times a week, awesome. You get a benefit with no harm. You start using it every day. You start doing it multiple times a day and you will absolutely lower your baseline levels of energy and mood and cognitive performance. And then the the insidious part is subjectively people still experience that it gives them a boost. But really what it's doing is getting them back up to what used to be their normal level of function. So you basically they have made themselves dependent on a substance to function normally. Yeah, that's not a good energy supplement.
0: No. <laughs> so
1: here, here's what I think are and and specifically looping into um, uh, mitochondria specifically. So um, NT factor phospholipids. Uh, this is a phospholipid uh, formula that's made from lecithin mm-hmm. and they extract phospholipids, you know, phosphatidylcholine, ethanolamine. they mm-hmm. have this patented formula that they sell. And um, there's a lot of research that's been done on this. Um, there's a, a great paper by a researcher named Garth Nicholson called lipid replacement therapy. Yeah. And what have you, have you read that?
0: No. No, okay, I'm, I'm taking yeah, my I'm, notebook. I'm continually
1: yeah. shocked by how few people are aware of this research, um, and the research is so impressive. There's been numerous studies using this formula um, in people with various kinds of fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, obscure things like Gulf War illness, obesity-related fatigue, aging-related fatigue, and this one supplement. Within studies range from like three weeks to twelve weeks um, increases energy levels consistently across the board by 25 to 45%. And the, the way that it works is these phospholipids are actually transported inside of the cell where they help repair damaged parts of mitochondrial membranes and replace those phospholipids with new healthy phospholipids.
0: Interesting. So this is the NT factor.
1: NT factor. Yeah. Okay. Another great one is acetyl L-carnitine, CoQ10, PQQ, I think are good compounds. EGCG from from green tea is a great compound with a huge amount of research supporting mitochondrial health. Quercetin is great. Um, Spirulina is amazing. Pomegranate, uh, elagic acid from pomegranate is transformed by um, metabolized by certain gut microbes into a compound called urolithin A, which has recently hit the market as a supplement um that has been shown to amplify autophagy in a big way acetyl-L-carnitine is a common one but the research is quite impressive for example there's research in older adults with chronic fatigue showing acetyl-L-carnitine use can increase levels of mental energy and physical energy by 40-50% in a few months um astaxanthin is a great supplement yeah. Uh, yeah. that helps stabilize and protect mitochondrial membranes And, uh, then a couple interesting ones that actually act as hormetic stressors. And these are not super well-known. One of them starting to become more talked about is calcium, AKG, um, which is marketed now as a longevity supplement actually acts as a hormetic stressor at the mitochondrial level by binding to ATP synthase and essentially hindering energy production and by hindering energy production, um, Temporarily, it is uh, actually stimulating adaptations at the mitochondrial level, much like hormetic stressors do, uh, that make the mitochondria stronger.
0: So then, should people be cycling this, or is it just so 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 fleeting in the system that it does it for a period of time every day that you take it, and then it just kind of wears off?
1: Yeah, I would go with the latter. Excellent.
0: The latter. Okay.
1: Another, and, and a lot of different phytochemicals act as what are called Xenohormetic stressors. So EGCG is another example of that. Um, catechins, epicatechin, um, uh, resveratrol, bean. a lot of these different compounds are Xenohormetic stressors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another one, super interesting one, supplement that's been around forever that is cheap, And um, everyone has heard of, but nobody knows that it is acting on the mitochondrial level and is actually maybe one of the most powerful mitochondrial supplements is glucosamine. Interesting. Glucosamine has been around forever as a joint supplement taken by people who have joint pain and arthritis. Um, There was a study done maybe 10 years ago, where they looked, the researchers wanted to examine all the different like nutritional supplements that people take and any associations with them with longevity, like to figure, ask the the question, like of all these different, hundreds of different supplements that people are taking, are there any of them that are reliably and predictably associated with decreased all-cause mortality and longer lifespans? And what they found was, uh, there was a, like two or three of them but glucosamine was one of the strongest and they were like oh, this this is weird why would this joint supplement mm-hmm. be um associated with longevity and then the same researchers i think it was from the university of washington did a follow-up study they found again in this new group of several thousand people that glucosamine was associated with longevity then they did experiments in animal models where they use glucosamine and they found it extends lifespan. And then they did mechanistic studies to figure out why would glucosamine extend lifespan? And what they found is that uh, glucosamine, especially glucosamine sulfate, acts as a mitohormetic stressor. It it acts on the mitochondria to uh, basically temporarily stress them out by hindering uh, the use of carbohydrates for fuel. And by hindering the mitochondria's ability to use carbohydrates for fuel, you stress them out. And in response to that, they basically become more energetically efficient. They adapt to that stress by learning how to produce energy more efficiently. And the lifespan extension effects of glucosamine are linked to their effects on mitochondria.
0: That's fascinating. I did not know that. Okay, guys. Well, here you go. Glucosamine for mitochondria. Go, go. Mm-hmm. This has been great. Um, I feel like we kind of need to wind this down because we could keep going for a really <laughs> long time.
1: <laughs> the sun's going down here. I want to go jump in the pool with my kitties.
0: Oh, fine, fine. Brag, why don't you? <laughs> Ari, this has been amazing. I feel like I've kind of been squeezing you like a sponge here. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Or
1: There's much more I would like to share. But, okay. uh, but but fortunately we don't have several more hours.
0: No, we, well we do, but we don't. So how about we tell people where to find you and how to access, because you've got some incredible resources for people to build their energy blueprint. So why don't we just tell people where they can find you?
1: Yeah, they can go to my website, theenergyblueprint.com. Um, I've got my own supplement line. I've got programs there. I definitely encourage people to check out my breathing for energy program, which is, which goes into the use of breath, hold training as a hormetic stressor, which is a wonderful hormetic stressor to build mitochondria, especially in the context of people with chronic fatigue. Yeah. And yeah, I got a lot of, a lot of info, a lot of resources there. There's a free webinar on, on breathing for energy. If people want to opt in for that, but the, the energy com is where to find me.
0: Fabulous. Ari Witten, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation and I hope that uh, we get to do this again. We'll do a part two.
1: I'm sure we will. Thank you so much, Nat. It was a pleasure.
0: Likewise. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application, just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.